Okay, so let me read from the book of Philemon. So from verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Appia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be in, oh, sorry. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I do not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave. As a dear brother, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have come or I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Good morning, everybody. How many of you were pleased that you didn't get asked to read that passage publicly as well this morning? Because we taught we test Moses with a few difficult phrases and names. You did well. Let's give him a little round of applause for just... Okay. Uh, confession moment, just turn to the person next to you and just see if, you, if they know this book at all, if you've ever read Philemon at all, if you've ever heard of Philemon before, just have a little chat to the person next to you. <laughs> okay, you can come back to me. Okay, I... How many of us don't really know this book? Just stick your hand in the air. It's all right. You're not going to get chucked out of church. Quite a lot of us. Okay. It's, we don't know this book very well, do we? We don't tend to preach out of it. When I was preparing, I wrote in the word Philemon into my computer, who'd obviously never heard of it either, and spell-checked Philemon to Pokemon. So, 
I thought I might preach on Pokemon chapter one today. Andrew Wilson has not preached on that before. But we don't tend to notice so well. Uh, I've never heard anybody preach from it. And, um, you know, when you get a birthday card or a card from someone and they write a Bible scripture in it, you don't tend to get people writing scriptures from Philemon. It's just not that well known. But it's, it's very short, but it's also quite a challenge when you read it. Because what you have when you read this is, we don't know much about Philemon. We obviously know about Paul. We don't know much about Onesius, who's this guy that the letter's about. And you're kind of getting one side of the story because it's a letter. And it's a bit like, it reminded me of, you know, those moments when you're on a bus or a train and someone sits next to you and they, they start making a phone call. Have you had that moment? And um, you're reading a book, but basically they're, they're making this phone call. And although you're not... A, particularly a nosy person, and that's not why you sat down. The truth is, you start to kind of like zone in. You, you make sure it doesn't look like you're zoning in. I'm reading my book, and I'm even turning the pages, even though I have no idea what this book's about, because you're zoning into this conversation, and your brain is on overdrive, and you're trying to work out. You can hear everything this person is saying, although you're pretending you're not, and you have no idea what the other person is saying, and you're trying to work out what is this conversation all about? What's, what's the situation? What's going on? Do they agree? And you're conjuring scenarios in your head. Anybody else know what that's like? You're right? Okay. Well, that's a bit like when you read this book, because you're trying to work out, you know, what's going on? What's the background? What's happening? We know for a few things for sure. Philemon was a man who became a Christian through Paul's ministry. Uh, he lives in Colossae. He probably met Paul in Ephesus. Uh, Paul considers him a partner. Uh, Philemon opens his home. He runs church in his home. They gather there. And Onesimus, we know, used to be a slave in Philemon's house. And he's done a runner. He's probably robbed Onesimus as um, Philemon as he's gone. And he's done a runner. And somehow, at some point, he's met Paul. And now he's become a Christian and he's serving Paul while Paul is in in, in jail, in prison, in Rome, and he's become very precious to Paul, and Onesius has a changed man. We don't know how they met in the first place. Did Onesius try and find him on purpose, or was it by chance? We don't know the circumstances around which he left Philemon's house and ran away, and we don't know what happens, crucially, what happens next in the story. We don't know if Philemon will do what Paul is writing to him, asking him to do. So there's a whole bunch of stuff we don't know, and you're trying to work out the other side of the phone call, as it were. But even though it's a really short book, there's loads of themes in it. We could talk about the issue of spiritual authority. So Paul says, listen, I'm in a position with you where I could be bold, and I could command you to do what I'm about to ask you. But he says, I don't really want to do that. I want to appeal to you. And that's an interesting insight into often the tone that the Bible uses when it comes to leaders and how they should use the authority that God gives them. Authority in a church is given by people, not taken by leaders, in other words. And that's a really, really important subject. It's how churches and places like that should be led. The tone, Jesus says, doesn't he? He says, the Gentile leaders lord it over people. That's how they exercise their leadership. That's not how you're to lead. You're to lead in a way by to serve people. If you want to be great, you need to come last. You want to be first, be the least. So we could talk about that. We could talk about the issue of identity. Paul says, I'm a prisoner, but I'm a prisoner of, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. In other words, he clearly identifies himself as belonging to Jesus, and that's the starting place of everything else for him. And sometimes if we're going through challenges as a Christian and we're struggling to live it out, sometimes we have to look at the foundations and go, am I clear about who I am? 
Is my identity clear? Or is it, is it kind of shifting around and I'm not really clear what's happened when I became a Christian? That's such a critical issue. We could talk about the issue of slavery. Onesius is a runaway slave. And we could talk about what does the New Testament say into the issue of slavery? Clearly, historically, a very significant issue and modern-day issue of slavery. And if you'd like to understand a bit more about that, what the Bible says, I want to encourage you to listen to a message that Andrew Wilson preached here uh, in the Exodus series, just the previous series, right at the start of that series. He talks about that whole issue. The subject I want to teach on today, which I think just jumps out of this whole, this little book, but this short letter, is the issue of forgiveness and reconciliation. And in particular, I want to talk about the forgiveness aspect of that, because actually forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing, and I'll explain that a little bit in a moment. The storyline for Onesimus is this. He's run away from Philemon's house. On the journey, he's met Paul. He's come to faith, and he is now a changed man. Onesius, his name literally means useful, but apparently he's not always been useful. Useful is a nice name to have, isn't it? Hi, I'm, I'm useful. I'm handy. I'm good to have around. But Paul says, actually, he used to be useless, which is fairly blunt, but previously in Philemon's house, he was considered very unhelpful. I used to work on a farm when I was a kid uh, every summer for about six years. And one of the other guys there was a guy called George from Lancashire. George had been there since about 1723. And he'd like, worked on a farm forever. And this 16-year-old kid was just, I was useless as far as he was concerned. And probably he was right. I broke, basically, I broke things a lot. I broke spades, I broke brooms, I even broke a tractor, drove into a tree, that's a bit unfortunate. But anyway, so there's a whole bunch of, and I was considered, I think he thought I was a bit useless, but about four or five years into working there, one summer I asked him, how do you think I'm doing, George? Because I sensed that maybe his attitude was changing towards me a little bit. And he said, I, you're mending, which I think in Lancaster means you're not as useless as you used to be, okay? <laughs> I took that as a huge a huge kind of sense of encouragement from George. Okay, so Onesius used to be useless, but now he's mending, he's mended, and he's dear to Paul, and he's a changed man. But there is an issue from his past that needs to be resolved. And this is often what happens to us. If we've come to faith, something happens in us, we're changed, we're forgiven, God starts a new thing in our life, and as we start to live it out, God graciously and gently starts to put his finger on things and goes, now, Listen, there's this stuff from your past. There's this issue. There's this situation. This something happened here, which although you've experienced forgiveness and change, there are scars from this situation, or maybe multiple situations for some of us, where now we need to go back and there needs to be some healing and some resolution from what happened here so that you can now begin to grow into the person that I'm calling you to become. And I suspect as I speak today, God may start to put his finger on one or two situations for different ones of us in the room about you need to go back now and resolve this issue. That's exactly what Paul is doing. He says, right, now, Philemon, uh, Onesius, things have changed, but you need to go back now to Philemon and resolve this issue because he's run away. Now, the thing you need to understand is this is not a small thing. This is a huge, huge deal because for Onesius, a runaway slave to go back is effectively a man who's handing himself in for execution. So this isn't a small deal. Paul isn't writing to Philemon and just saying, look, I'm sending him to you. Could you just show some restraint with him? 
And interestingly, that's not what God asks of us with people, is it? Just show some restraint, tolerate them. That's not what he's asking. He doesn't even say to Philemon, I'm going to send him back to you. Please, A, don't kill him, and B, could you give him his old job back? He doesn't even just say reinstate him. Paul writes to Philemon and goes way beyond that. This is outrageous what he asks. He makes a huge ask. He says, this man, Anisius, who's wronged you, stolen from you, humiliated you, shamed you legally, who should be punished and even killed, I want you now, Philemon, to forgive him, to welcome him, to liberate him, and I want you to accept him as a brother. It's about as big a ask as Paul could make of Philemon. This guy who's a runaway slave is right at this end. Now I want, you back. I want him back in your house. I want you to welcome him, accept him, forgive him, liberate him, and accept him as a brother. It's a huge shift. Okay? And God often calls us to make huge shifts when it comes to resolving things in our past. Things that have happened to us that cause such seismic hurt and shift in our own lives affected us still today, we react a certain way because of what happened then. God calls us to go, now I want you to go back, and we're going to have to bring some healing to that situation, and we're going to have to get you out of that to here. That person, that situation that caused you such pain, we need to resolve that in some way. It's, it's just all over the New Testament. Forgive one another. Show mercy. Love your enemies, Jesus says. You've heard it said. Love your friends. Love your enemies. Overcome evil with good. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Peter shows up one day and says to Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother when he wrongs me? And he says to Jesus, how about seven times? Right? The rabbis at the time taught about three. Three is the top level. So Jesus, Peter's thinking seven's a good number. Right? I'm being super gracious. But beyond seven, that guy's done, right? And Jesus turns to him and goes, 77 times, which is not the top number. Jesus isn't going, 78, you can punch him. It's not, Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying, this is a completely different way of life now, Peter. There's two ways of living. Either there's vengeance, eye for an eye, this person hurts you, you have retribution, which is basically the way of the world, Yeah? And Jesus goes, no, no, there's a, there's a whole new way of living in my kingdom, which is like 77, 78, 79. You just keep going. How does Philemon do what Paul is asking? And how do you and I do? You know the people that are coming to your mind right now? You know those people, that situation that you know has affected you for years and affects the way you respond right now in situations to people, how do you do what the New Testament is saying to you? Because it's, it's, like, it's not just a nice thing to have in the Bible. It's like, it's literally, no, no, I want you to learn to forgive that person. It's a huge, huge ask. Because sometimes these people cause us such pain, it's shaped in our entire life. How do we do what it's saying? Well, I want to just, for the last while we've got, I want to talk about some things I think that can help us begin to do the things that you see Paul asking of Philemon and that the New Testament asks of us. First of all this, in order for us to learn how to do this, to forgive people and to go back and resolve something in our own hearts, the first thing is this, we need to understand what forgiveness is. 
often we misunderstand what forgiveness is. Often we think of forgiveness as something we ought to do as a Christian. Part of an obligation, like a code I signed up for. I'm a Christian now, so I ought to forgive people, right? But you'll discover that willpower alone is not a very powerful motive when it comes to something like forgiveness. Often also we think of forgiveness as a favor we're doing to the person who's wronged us. If Charles wrongs me, which he has, and I publicly want to know, he hasn't, <laughs> but if he has... Is forgiveness something I ought to do and I'm doing him a favor? That's what it feels like to us. Rationally, that's what it feels like. But that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a gift to me as the person who is wronged that brings healing to me. It's an opportunity, not an obligation. Now, the Bible does teach it. Forgive one another. In that sense, it's a command. But actually, you need to understand it as an opportunity rather than an ought to. Because you realize, actually, it's a way of me getting free from this thing in my past, which still affects me today. You know those things? Yeah? That's what forgiveness is. It's a gift. John Ortberg, who's a brilliant writer on this kind of stuff, says this. Forgiveness is a kind of spiritual surgery that can remove what is toxic to the heart and make dead relationships come alive again. You see, if someone hurts me, what happens is this. They hurt me, I carry the pain and the anger in my heart. It's, it's resident in my heart. It starts to affect who I start to grow into being, right? It starts to bear fruit in my life because I'm carrying it. And the reason I carry unforgiveness towards someone is because I'm hoping that if I keep them unforgiven in my heart, I'm keeping them somehow captive. I'm, if you like, I'm taking vengeance on them by not forgiving them. Well, what you discover is often they have no awareness that, I'm not, that I haven't forgiven them. And you realize that the only prisoner and the only captive in the whole situation is me. And I'm a prisoner to my own hurt and pain and bitterness. And I'm captive. And forgiveness is a way of me getting out and me getting healed and beginning to get free. So when Paul says to Philemon, you need to free Onesimus, he does mean free him. But also the person who's going to get free at the same time is Philemon. He's going to to allow him to go and he will get free at the same time. So that's what forgiveness partly is. Here's some things that it isn't. Forgiveness is not the same as condoning or excusing. If someone has wronged you, it's not saying that what they did is okay. It's also not the same as forgetting. It doesn't mean you suppress the memory and try and stuff it down inside of you. That doesn't work either. Forgiveness is not the same as waiting for them to apologize. We like it when someone comes to us and admits they got it wrong. We want them to squirm on the floor. We want them to write out a full apology in blood. That's what we want, right? Forgiveness is not that. Forgiveness is us taking the initiative. Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother wrongs you, you go. So they may never forgive you or apologize to you. That's not, but you have to take your, make your move and apologize and forgive where you can forgive for what you're responsible to do. Forgiveness is not even the same as reconciliation. This letter is about reconciliation. He's saying, let Anisius come back and be reconciled. In fact, liberate him into being more than he was before. But reconciliation and forgiveness are not the same things. Forgiveness is an aspect of reconciliation, and we want reconciliation. But sometimes it is very unwise to go be reconciled to someone who hasn't changed. If I can just say that. So it's very unwise to go back into an abusive relationship. You get to a point where you need to forgive, and as painful as that is, begin to work through. But that doesn't mean you go back and reconcile. They are different things, 
and it requires pastoral wisdom as to know where a relationship should be reconciled or not. They're not the same things, although this letter is about reconciliation. Forgiveness is this, however. Forgiveness is giving up the right to hurt the other person back. When someone wrongs you and hurts you, they rob you. Onesimus has robbed Philemon, physically probably robbed him. He's shamed him. He's taken from him. He's run away. When someone hurts you, they rob you. They rob you of joy, peace, reputation. Whatever it is, they will rob you. In other words, there is a debt. And where there's a debt, there are two options. One option is you can inflict the debt and make them pay. Or you take the debt and you absorb it and pay yourself. Those are the options. And forgiveness is where we acknowledge there's a debt, we don't pretend, and we absorb the debt ourselves. That's what forgiveness is. So you've got to understand what forgiveness is this. Second thing I think is this. To be able to take steps like this, which is a really big ask, you have to, I believe, understand and experience what forgiveness is in your own life. You see, the only reason Paul can make this ask of Philemon, which is a huge ask, is because Philemon has experienced forgiveness himself. So he's writing to Philemon confident because he knows Philemon is a changed man. Something has happened in his heart, which means that he understands forgiveness, and hence Paul writes to him confident that from the place of a forgiven heart that Philemon can show it enough to begin to forgive Onesimus and help him back. You see, Philemon is not that different from Onesimus. And they're not that different from Paul or you or me. Onesimus' story is our story, in other words. Who is Onesimus? He is a a rebellious, he's a rebel, he's a runaway, he's in debt, he's under judgment, he's effectively a dead man walking, and that is you and that is me, right? Before we come to Jesus, I'm a rebel, I'm a runaway, I'm in debt and I'm under judgment, I'm effectively, I'm a dead man walking. I'm aware that if I go back to my master, unforgiven, I face judgment. If Onesimus comes back to Philemon and there's no forgiveness, he faces judgment. His story is exactly the same as our story. We have a master in Jesus who has intervened on our behalf and through the cross, rather than inflicting the debt on me and you, he absorbs the debt. That's what happens at the cross. And Paul uses that exact language when he writes in this letter. He says, verse 18, he says, Philemon, if Onesimus has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. He says, I'm writing it in my own hand. I will pay. That is, that's the language of the cross. Because Jesus says, where I owe and where you owe, it gets charged to him. And he pays on our behalf. So Paul is saying, I'll be the mediator. I'll stand in the gap. I will pay. And that is exactly what has happened to us, isn't it, at the cross. Our wrongs, our debts, our shame are charged to Jesus. And when you understand that in your heart and you taste it and you keep drawing from it critically, then you are in a place where you can begin to respond to what you know God is saying to you about issues that need resolving. Let me try to illustrate this. I have a friend of mine who has climbed Mount Kilimanjaro three times. Kilimanjaro is a big mountain in Africa, just under 20,000 feet. If you want to climb a mountain like that, there's a few things you need. First of all, you need probably a guide. You need probably fitness, some equipment. But critically, you need to acclimatize. Because your body, if you live at 
sea level, effectively like we do, is not used to living at that kind of altitude. You just can't. There's, there's your, your blood and oxygen, all that stuff, just won't be able to deal with 20,000 feet. So if we were all to go now to Tanzania and we were all to kind of try and climb this thing, even if you're really fit and really like experienced, you'll never make it because something has not happened inside of you that allows you to acclimatize, allows you to climb the mountain. Something has to happen inside of you first. That's why climbers spend ages at altitude, allowing their bodies to change. God needs to do something in you in order for you to be able to begin to absorb other people's debts to you. Do you see? God has to do something in you. So if there are areas from your past where you know there's pain and that things are not resolved, the first question you have to ask is, have I ever come to the cross and received forgiveness myself? Because from that place and that place only will I begin to be able to resolve this issue. What happens at the cross? Three things, well, lots of things, but three things I want to mention happen at the cross. Firstly, this. When you come to the cross, your vision about what reality is gets changed. You see, when someone hurts you, you don't see the person anymore, do you? You see the pain and you see the perpetrator, but you don't see a person anymore. You look at them, that's what you see. And when you think of yourself, you tend to think of yourself as a righteous, superior victim. But at the cross, what you realize is, this person who hurt me is not the only runaway here. I'm a runaway as well. I'm a rebel. I may not have done what they did, or anything like the degree of what they've done to me. But actually, I've got my own history as well. I've caused my own pain. I've, I've, I've left my own fair share of destruction and trail behind me. And it, you get humbled at the cross. And then when you get humbled... And humility is key to forgiveness because often unforgiveness is twinned with superiority. Humility is key. You suddenly realize that although this person has called me huge pain, they are still a person, and I'm a person, and we've both fallen short. You start to see things how they really are. Paul writes to Philemon and says, I want you to see Onesimus differently. I know he's a slave who's run away, but I want you now to think of him as a brother. I want you to see him differently. So when you come to the cross, you realize, I'm not so great either, and neither are you. That's what happens. We get a different perspective, and it means that we start to see the perpetrator differently. It doesn't excuse it. We don't forget it. We don't condone it. It doesn't mean it's not a huge ask it means we see it differently. Secondly, the other thing that happens at the cross is this. We start to see God in a different way. You see, where there's wrong, there's a debt. The debt has to be absorbed. Yes? That tells us two things about God. First of all, it says this. It tells us that he's gracious and kind, but it also tells us this, that he's a God of justice. The debt has to be paid in some way. It means he's a God of justice, which means that he will bring justice where he needs to bring justice, and that I can trust him to do that. In John chapter 8, they catch a lady in the act of adultery. She gets brought before Jesus, and the religious leaders are like, right, by the law, we should be able to kill her. Let's stone her now. Jesus, can we stone her? And Jesus is like, you're right. She deserves to die. She deserves justice. But then he says, but if you're without sin, you throw the first stone. No one throws a stone. See, what he's saying is, she deserves justice. She deserves 
judgment. It's just not your justice to administer. That's not your place. I sometimes say to my kids as they try to, you know, deal with each other, it's not your place. I, like, hello, there's a parent in the room. You know, like, you can st- like you're, the, you're the kids, we're the parents. It's our role, not yours. And in, when it comes to justice, he's going, it's my role. It's not your role. And you can trust me, he says, that I will bring justice where justice needs to be brought. And when you forgive someone or you begin to take steps, what you're saying is, I am giving up the right to be the judge. I'm not going to be the judge anymore. And I am trusting you that you are a God of justice and that where there have been wrongs, you will bring things right. That's so important. Thirdly and lastly, this. When we come to the cross, we are reminded. This is why it's so important you've got to keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back because forgiveness is not a one-off moment. It's often again and again and again. I am reminded where I stand now. Who I am now. See, I was a runaway and a rebel under judgment, but now, because of the cross, I'm a son and an heir and I'm welcomed home. You see, what is Onesimus thinking? Paul sends him on his way. What is Onesimus thinking as he goes back to Philemon? He's thinking, I'm dead. I'm a dead man walking. I'm dead. He's going to kill me. I'm dead. That's what he's thinking. He's like, kill me now. And then he gets to Philemon's house, and we trust and we believe that Philemon goes, I'm freeing you. All that, that, all that you paid, I'm absorbing. You're free, liberated. You can go. For Onesimus, it must be like, that's, inc- that's crazy because I was, I was in debt. I was under the judgment of death. I was completely in the wrong. And now suddenly I'm in a situation where I'm free and I'm liberated. In other words, Onesimus doesn't have to spend the rest of his life looking over his shoulder, wondering what's going to come next after him. Who's going to get him? What's going to happen next? He's not carrying anything around with him, any kind of shame, any kind of debt, any kind of guilt, fear about stuff catching up with him from his past. It's all gone. All of it's gone because he gets liberated. Well, that's where you stand once you come to Jesus. Once you come to Jesus, you get it's all gone. I don't have to look over my shoulder anymore. I don't have to carry it. I don't have to be worried it's going to catch up with me. It's, I'm liberated. I'm set free. When you realize that, you realize, man, I was in such debt. I am now in such credit. <laughs> okay? When you realize you're in credit, right? When you realize that, you realize this debt, this person owes me. Maybe now I have the resource and the reason and the compassion and the motive to begin to absorb what they owe me. If you've got nothing in the bank and I say, can you give me 100 pounds? You're going to struggle to give me that, aren't you? Because you've got nothing. If you've got a million pounds, anybody got a million pounds? No, okay, no hands up. If you've got a million pounds and I say, could you give me 100, which I might do if you've got a million, you're going to go, unless you're really tight, you're probably going to go, yes, okay, because you can absorb it. Now, that sounds like a silly example, but you understand Getting understanding where you are now means this debt that they owe me and they do owe me, I can begin to take steps of absorbing it because I am in such credit now compared to where I used to be. And when you do that and you begin to take steps 
and you begin to pray it through, and you begin to get with people who can help you, you will find healing begins to come, and the things which have affected you, you start to get free from. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. We're going to pray together. Maybe the band could just come. I'm just going to pray. I know this is, a, for some of us, a very emotive subject. So, But I'm just going to pray. If you know that it's just you know, close to home where you feel God's brought something to your mind, particularly I just want you to really be open to him now in this next few moments together as we pray and as we worship. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are kind and compassionate in the way you handle us and deal with us. And Lord Jesus, we want, I want to pray for all our brothers and sisters in this room who, right today, we know, oh, this, this subject is close to home for me. Maybe we can even think about situations or people where we know we've been damaged. And Lord, I want to pray that your word, thank you that you say your word doesn't return empty. I want to pray, God, it, it would not return empty in people's lives and that you would help us courageously take steps where you can bring freedom and healing from the past. And we can kind of, you can change us and mold us into the people you want us to be. Lord, I pray it in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.